for those of you who can see, Vernon's got quite an impressive pedal board down here, and I, I thought if we could mic, run my mic through the pedal board, I can play with effects to keep you awake. Uh, but I don't know. We won't, we won't do that because I don't know what would happen if I started to press all this. It's a very impressive piece of tech. Okay, anyway, on to more important things. Um, interesting this morning, we were talking about the earthquake drill, and one of the things that... Uh, uh, that we that if you look on your insert, you'll see we talk about uh, ducking and getting under. And, you know, that was something that uh, is, is quite familiar to me. Uh, many years ago, I lived for a couple of years outside of a, a suburb of Chicago. And that was during the kind of the peak years of the Cold War. And uh, one of the scary things about that for young kids is we were taught this. And this is, uh, this is Bert and if, if some of you, I don't know if, we, if any of you encountered this, but this was a a cartoon character who told us about duck and cover in case of a thermonuclear attack. And uh, somehow it seems a little pointless, perhaps, to duck and cover when you're in ground zero of a thermonuclear explosion. But anyway, I guess if you're far enough away from the center of the explosion, perhaps duck and cover would do something. Um, but it, uh, the other thing that we... Uh, that we were exposed to is this, and I don't. Again, I don't know if I don't think I've I've seen this in Canada, but uh, uh, and I don't think there's many of them left in the U.S. But we all knew where the nearest fallout shelter was, and even as a young kid, I knew where we had to go for for the fallout shelter. Sometimes they were in your schools. I remember the one uh, significant one in the town that we were living in was in the post office, and we were told this is the place when you hear the civil defense sirens go. We're going to be under attack, and you need to run. You need to go to these places and take cover. You can imagine that was a little unnerving when you're a young child. I, didn't, I don't remember really understanding what was happening around us, what was going on that I would need to do this kind of thing. Uh, but I remember it was very unnerving, thinking I'm going to need to take refuge somewhere. Something is going to happen. Some, something that I didn't really understand is going to, may take place and I need, may need to, to take refuge. But what I did know, what I did learn in all of that was when this happened, you need to take refuge. When you hear that siren, you need to find a place to take refuge. Now, today, we probably don't have that kind of concern. Probably not so much uh, here in Canada either. Um, so we might not think about that. I think about it might not be that much in our minds the idea of needing to take refuge. But we still do feel under attack sometimes. We still do feel like we are under some kind of stress. We do feel like we need some place to go, to rest, to recharge, to feel that, that we are in a safe place. David, King David, talks to us, tells us about his experience in finding refuge. His experience in finding that safe place when life is hard. And he writes about that a number of times in as we read what all that David did and said, we find him mentioning a refuge and safe place. We read in Psalms, this often comes up, but here today in Psalm 11 is this Psalm of David. And Psalm 11 says, for the director of music of David, 
In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountains? For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord is on His heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, He hates with a passion. On the wicked He will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see His face. This is David talking about his experience and the, the, the difficulties that he went through and how, in a way, how does he respond to. There's a human part of this story in, in the Psalms as it almost always is. There is a human part of what the psalmist is writing about. There is the human feeling and the response to it and some sort of reflection on those feelings from a theological perspective. Now, we don't know here in this passage in particular um, in, the, in, in Psalm 11 exactly what the crisis was that David was going through. But we do see that there was some problem. So we see it in a general sense. And we see also here in Psalm 11 an interesting part of poetry. An interesting part of the poetry of the psalm. Because he starts out the psalm uh, with the response. He starts by answering the question before the question is asked. And he, and he sets the, the framework for the whole psalm right in the beginning. And, he, and so he says in verse 1, in the first part of verse 1, he says simply, In the Lord I take refuge. In the Lord I take refuge. In a way, we could just stop right there. That is a significant statement on its own. And we really don't need to say much more. We can just reflect on that. The Lord, in the Lord, I take refuge. He is my shelter. He is my rock. He is my fortress. We're familiar with this sort of language. We hear this again and again. But do we really understand it? Do we really take time to think, the Lord is my refuge? But He does. He moves on from there. And He, he expresses what this, what this means. But He does it in an interesting way because He presents what people are saying to Him as He goes on. He says, in the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountains? He's asking, this is, this is a rhetorical question. He says, he says, the Lord is my refuge, but you are telling me to run away, to flee into the mountains. This is the advice, to run and hide. To run and hide when he is in feeling that despair, when he is feeling under threat, when he is feeling challenged discouraged, disheartened, when he feels like the weight of the world is against him, his advisors are saying, run and hide. 
it may be, it may, that may feel like some uh, good advice to us at times. Don't you feel sometimes like that when you have a bad day? You, you just want to run home and climb into bed and pull a sheet over your head and say, I just hi- I'm just going to hide for a while. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to see anything. I just, I just want to hide from it. We all do that. We all have our own way of running and hiding. But David says, in the Lord I take refuge. And it seems here that there's some kind of personal attack on him. In verse 2, he says, this is, this is the, the advisors seem to be saying this. Look, the wicked are bending their bows. They're going to put their, their, their arrows to the string and shoot them at you. Shoot them in the, from the shadows at the righteous ones. The ones who should be feeling safe and secure. These are the ones the enemies are after and they're going to be shooting their bows. Their arrow, their, not their bows. They're going to be shooting their arrows at you from the darkness. This seems like some kind of personal attack. It seems like an unfair one. They're shooting at you from the shadows where you can't see them. And he says in verse 3, he goes, the, 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 these are, are what others are saying to him. The foundations are being shaken. They're being destroyed. What's left to do when your foundations are being destroyed? We think of the Leaning Tower of Pisa, whose foundations, and it's been stabilized now, but whose foundations were weak and the tower starts to topple. And that's what happens when your foundations are under attack, when your foundations are being destroyed, everything crumbles around. And that's what it was feeling like, or that's what his advisors were were saying, was your foundations are being undermined. You're being undercut from the very basis of you. You're going to topple and be destroyed. But remember what David was saying back in verse 1. He says, in the Lord I take refuge. The ones who are there who are shooting at me from the shadows, the ones who are there trying to destroy the foundations, I'm not going to run and hide. In the Lord I take my refuge. And so David has this wonderful picture for us of taking refuge when things seem really tough. Then David moves on and he gives us a picture of God. And so here is David. Remember, he starts out, in the Lord I take refuge. And then he says, this is, where, uh, this is what others are saying. But then uh, he says, here's a picture of God to counteract what people are saying, to reinforce the idea that this is the Lord that I take refuge and this is the one who I take refuge in. He says the Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord is on His heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. He sees what's going on. He knows where God is. And He knows what God can see. And so we see here in verse 4, He's pointing out to us pointing out to the readers, reminding himself even perhaps that God is in control. That God is sovereign. And even when the foundations are being destroyed, even when there's arrows being shot at from the darkness, we know that God is in control. Or maybe we need to be reminded of that. That God is in control. That God is sovereign. This is a theme that runs throughout Scripture. 
throughout the Old Testament and the New that God is sovereign and, and so it needs to be emphasized from time to time because sometimes when it seems like life is out of control, when it th- seems like everything is going wrong, when it feels like life is a bit of a disaster, a bit of a train wreck, we need that reminding that God is in control. God is on the throne. He is in His holy temple. He is on His heavenly throne. That throne is an image of power and authority. That is the place where those who have authority sit is on the throne. And the Lord is there on His throne. Whatever might be happening around us, God is in control. God is watching. He observes. He's not blind to the things that are going on in our lives. Somehow, God is in control of all of that. And as part of that sovereignty of God, God examines each one. He says in verse 5 and 6, He examines each one. He brings judgment on them all. And that's not a good thing. And so while the advice that David has been given is to run, to run, to flee in the face of the enemies, run and hide, David takes refuge in God because God is in control. Our plans might not be unfolding the way we would want them to, but we have to trust that God's plans are unfolding exactly the way God wants them to. And sometimes our plans don't line up with God's plans. And we, want, and we think that, that something is wrong. Sometimes, though, it's our plans that are not lined up with what God wants. So we put aside our plan. We trust in God. Josiah's testimony was a good one about that. About having some kind of plan, hearing advice, but saying, no, this is, this is what God wants me to do. This is the direction... I'm going, and even if I'm afraid, I'm going to follow that plan and maybe put aside all the things that I think I should do and just trust God. But God's people down through the ages have struggled with this. God's plan doesn't look like the plan perhaps that we might make. And so we struggle with that. And I think God's people have, have always struggled with that. God tells the prophet Habakkuk an, a, a fascinating thing. He says, I am raising up the Chaldeans who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. And eventually the Chaldeans or the Babylonians come in and they take God's people captive. They take Judah captive and take them back to Babylon. And here... In this bit of prophecy that God gives to the prophet Habakkuk, he's saying, I am using those people. Those people are are my tool to bring about something I want to do in the nation of Judah. We struggle with that. We think, how could this possibly be? When you look and, and you can imagine the people of Judah sitting there in Jerusalem, mounting up the warriors to go out and to fight these Babylonians who are coming to attack and thinking, it's our plan that we should protect our city. 
that we should fight this battle, that we should go to war at this point and defeat these enemies. And all the while, God is somehow back behind the scenes orchestrating these events in a way that's beyond really our understanding. As we look at the situation we're in, we say, what is God doing here? This doesn't make sense. But we go back to this idea that God is sovereign. God is in control. So we, uh, we struggle with that. But the truth is that God is in control. No matter what's going on around us, God is in control. And eventually, He will bring judgment. And there's, you may have heard this. And this is uh, a translation Henry Wadsworth Longfellow did in about 1846 of a German poem and using a truth that goes back even uh, a millennium or more from that. And it says, the, Though the mills of God grind slowly, yet they grind exceedingly small. Though with patience He stands waiting, with exactness grinds He all. The idea here is that God is at work. That God is doing something. That the, 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 the mills of God are grinding slowly. It may be it's things are not happening at the pace we want them to and in the way we want them to, but eventually they will work out all 100% according to God's plan. He, with exactness, grinds He all. It's a word about God's sovereignty. That no matter what's happening, God is at work there. And then David finally concludes with a, with a final word about God. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see His face. Other translations uh, might put it something like this and uh, uh, because of the, the words there in Hebrew are, are, are from the same root. For the righteous Lord loves righteousness. For the righteous Lord loves righteousness. The upright will see His face. There is hope. There is not despair, but there is hope. There is hope. The upright will see His face. will see the face of God. The righteous Lord loves righteousness. There is hope. So how is God our refuge? That's the, the question. That's the, the, maybe the hard question to to answer the harder question. We say, how does that actually work out? How do we go to God? We can say the Lord is my refuge, but what does it actually look like? How can we actually do it? But this idea that God is my refuge is one that's repeated, as I said, again and again through Scripture. And here is David. And this is recorded for us in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verses 2 and 3. He says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge and my Savior from violent people. You save me. So this idea that God is our refuge is there again and again through Scripture. So we need to pay attention to it. But what does it actually mean? A couple suggestions here. One, how do we, how do we take refuge in God? Well, in one way that we can do that is in God's people is coming together with God's people. We are the hands and feet. We, you and I here, we are the hands and feet of God in the world today. Now, God can work in many different ways, in many miraculous ways. 
I don't deny that. But by and large, today God works through His people. He uses His people to accomplish what He wants. And so the body of Christ can be there as a refuge for us. When we have need, when we're struggling, others can come alongside and be that uh, hands and feet of God to us. I know when... Uh, when we, we when when our truck uh, when our vehicle when we were in Zambia when our vehicle was stolen at gunpoint the the day after that a couple of uh, other missionaries came and sat with us for a while and talked with us and that was just a very helpful thing to have that body of Christ come alongside and help in those times of trouble when Job has his disaster what happens his friends come and sit with him for seven days. They come and sit for him with him for a week just to be with him. When Paul is at the end of his life in 2 Timothy, we read about the Paul at the end of his life when he is in prison and things have happened. And it seems when you read 2 Timothy that Paul clearly is at the end of his rope here. He is he knows he's coming to an end. We don't know exactly what's going to happen next, but certainly Paul seems to, 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 to see that. When you read the letter as a whole, you, you get that sense. Paul is at the very end of his life. And what does he say? Does he say, I want my last meal? I want a big steak. I want, you know, the, the classic last meal of a, of a prisoner on death row. No. He says to Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. Get Mark and bring him with you. Luke is here with me. What does he want at the end of his life? He wants Timothy. He wants Mark. He wants Luke to be with him. As he's there in prison, suffering, dying, he wants fellowship. And so that's part of how God can be our refuge by opening ourselves up to the body of Christ to let the body of Christ come and speak to us and minister to us. We need to be careful with that one though. <laughs> because when you look at 2 Timothy, you also see it wasn't all good news. Paul was looking for, uh, for his friends to come. But he says, Demas has deserted me. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. He says, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. So one of the things there in fellowship is that we're all, we're all sinful. We're all broken. And we can only provide a limited amount of, of that taking refuge because we all have our own baggage we're dealing with at the same time. And so, fellowship can be one resource, one way we can take refuge in God. But uh, it's not the only one. We can worship God. We can come together to worship Him. To turn our hearts away from our problems and focus on God. But think again of Paul, this time in prison with Silas in Acts chapter 16, verse 25. We read that he was attacked by a crowd. They were stripped. They were beaten with rods. They were put into prison. Their feet in stocks. And what do they do? They sing and pray. They worship God. Even in all of that, they worship God. 
Pastor uh, Sam Storms has, has said this about worship. We don't bring anything to God in corporate worship that He doesn't already have. Nothing except our need for Him. So, when we have that need, when we're looking to God to be our refuge, we say we come and we worship God. We turn away from ourselves and we turn our hearts to God. We can pray. We can spend time in prayer simply calling out to Him. Get up in the morning and say, God, apart from You, I can't make it through today. I can't make it through today. We pray. We pray in those times and we ask God to help. And then the, the last thing I'll suggest here is we can listen to God. As hard as it is in a crisis to do this, but we can stop and we can listen to God. Let God speak. And that comes easier to us if we're regularly letting ourselves hear from God. Or as someone has said, we can have consistency, having consistency in our walk with God so that when hardships hit, they don't seem so devastating and it doesn't seem like, like such a leap to turn to God. So we can listen to God. We can listen to God and find Him in that place when we're looking for refuge. Also, we can come and we're reminded of this today as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's a reminder that God is our refuge. That He has come and He has given up His Son here as represented here in the in the, in the bread and the cup that we're going to share here shortly. It's been represented to us. This is the refuge. This is the hope that we have in those times of trouble. A hope for an eternal life with Christ. An eternal life with God through the body of Christ broken for us and the blood of Christ shed for us. And Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, he's describing the gospel and he says that Christ, this is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to scripture. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ that we celebrate here today. If the ushers can come forward, please, and as we take these elements, we're reminded of that. Of that body of Christ broken for us. The blood of Christ shed for us. That gives us hope. That is a, a, a sign of the refuge that we have in God. And as we take this, we take in a way we can take refuge in God. These elements, these symbols of Christ's body and Christ's blood are for those who have accepted Christ as their Savior and followed Him in obedience in the waters of baptism. For the rest of you, just let the elements pass and you can still take this time to reflect on what Christ has done for you and on taking refuge in God in those times of trouble. If I could ask Deacon Wigwan just to pray for us as we take this uh, Lord's table today. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the privilege and honor we have to meet together, break bread together, take the cup together. We know we are obeying what you 
have taught us to do what our Lord did when he was on earth and what he mandated for us to do. So we thank you for this privilege. We know that as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim our Lord's death until he comes. So we look backwards and we look at our Lord's death on the cross, bearing our sins on the cross, freeing us from bondage to death and sin, and we look at his resurrection. But we not only proclaim his death, but we do it until he comes. So we thank you that we can look forward and we can come before the throne with confidence because we are dressed in righteousness alone that comes from Jesus alone. Faultless, we stand before the throne, not because we're faultless, but because you've made us faultless. Our Lord Jesus has, and we're grateful. So we look forward to the day when our Lord comes back, to the judgment, when Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead, because we know we're covered in Christ's righteousness. Even so, come, 